All right, Noelle, I have a question for you. Would you rather be possessed by a hundred puppy-sized ducks or one duck-sized puppy? Wait, those are my only two choices for possession? Well, you could be possessed by Obsession, the Calvin Klein perfume from the 90s. Puppy-sized ducks. Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm film scholar and aspiring pig cam operator, Noelle LaCroix. <laughs> and we're here today to talk about The Pack, the sixth episode of season one. The Pack was written by Matt Kine and Joe Reinkmeyer and directed by Bruce Seth Green. A warning before we begin. Every episode of Still Pretty talks about each episode within the greater context of all of Buffy. And as such, is fully spoiled. So if you haven't watched the whole thing, you may want to do that and then come back. All right, let's go on patrol. In the pack, a field trip to the zoo ends with Xander protecting a weaker kid who was dragged into the hyena house by a bunch of bullies, only to become possessed by the hyenas because hellmouth. He starts acting weird, picking on weaker kids, and being mean to Willow. And the Weird Behavior Award goes to... When Willow confronts Xander, he's cruel to her and then goes off with the bullies to steal lunches. The meat is cooked, however, so they eat Herbert, the school mascot. Let's do lunch. Buffy suspects something hellmouthy is going on with Xander and brings it to Giles, who is less than helpful. But when he mentions how teenage boys prey on the weak... Buffy makes the connection to the hyenas at the zoo. You're saying that uh, Xander's becoming a hyena? I don't know. Or been possessed by one? Not just Xander, all of them. When Buffy goes to find Xander, she finds the pig cage destroyed and the bones picked clean. Xander comes up on her and they fight. And then Xander sexually assaults her. Get off of me. Is that what you really want? <laughs> we both know what you really want. You want danger, don't you? You like your men dangerous. While Buffy knocks Xander out, Principal Flutie brings the other four bullies into his office and they, well, they eat him. Buffy and Giles go to the zoo to figure out what's going on while Willow watches over Xander, locked in the library cage, until the other four bullies break him out. Willow. The bullies come after Willow, but Buffy and Giles show up in the nick of time. Buffy baits the bullies and leads them back to the zoo where Giles meets the zookeeper for the transpossession. But the zookeeper has other plans. Terribly frustrating for you that a bunch of schoolchildren could accomplish what you could not. It bothered me, but the power wouldn't mind. The zookeeper knocks Giles out and attacks Willow as Buffy leads the bullies to the hyena house. He takes the possession from them and attacks Buffy, who throws him into the hyena cage, where he's promptly eaten. Uh. I miss anything? At school, Xander pretends that he can't remember a thing, but Giles is on to him. I've been reading up on my uh, animal possession, and I cannot find anything anywhere about memory loss afterwards. Did you tell them that? Your secret dies with me. Shoot me, stuff me, mount me. All right, so Noelle, what did you think about uh, the pack? Um, I liked the pack for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, I was really sad to see Principal Flutie go, though. 
I know. Principal Flutie, we hardly knew you. He doesn't last very long, but I do really like him. I like Ken Lerner in the role. He's really um, very sweet, you know, and avuncular and just like a nice guy. And I really, really like him. And I like that he's, as a principal, he is consistently trying to do the right thing. Um, Mm -hmm. In Teacher's Pet, he is insisting that all of the kids who saw Dr. Gregory's body see a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sensitive. He he explains to Buffy that the school is sensitive to bad touching, um, right. which is played for humor in that episode. And maybe I don't, I'm, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, that his concern right. for the students mental health and well-being is presented as a joke. Um, mm-hmm. And. But I I like him. I like him as somebody who is trying. Um, yeah. You know, and yeah, the- he is genuinely trying. And I think that like, even though it's kind of presented as a joke, it's like a sweet thing. Yeah. And he's very sweet with Buffy um, mm-hmm. in this episode in the pack, his speech about when he was in high school and how he wants yeah. the high school environment to be, um, he, you know, he wants to foster school spirit, but then he mm-hmm. follows that up with, but when I was your age, I had people my age telling me how great it was when they were my age. And he's, right. he's very aware in that moment that he is, mm-hmm. you know, he's being one of the adults that he would have rolled his eyes at when he was Buffy's age. Right. Um, right. And his relationship with Herbert is so sweet. I know. I love the way he looks after the pig. It's very sweet. It is incredibly sweet. Yeah. And and the way he's very protective of Herbert as a scary mascot. Buffy yes. says he's adorable. <laughs> he's and of course, fierce he's razorback. <laughs> his little razorback. He's fierce. Yes. But of course, you know, Buffy's holding him like a baby. <laughs> Just- I know. I love so but much. But I also like to, instead of taking the pig from her, he's like, no, well, you you walk him in. Like, it's almost like he's afraid to pick up the pig or he's afraid of accidentally touching Buffy when he picks up the pig. Like, I don't know what it is that's going through his head, but it is all kind of sweet, you know, and really earnest. I mean, that's kind of what I like about him. He is so incredibly earnest and it almost feels like he doesn't belong in this universe. Like, it's sort of the Hellmouth seems like the wrong place for Principal Flutie. Uh, yeah, Hellmouth is definitely not a place for Principal Flutie. Flutie, um, yeah, with his he's got his own picture on his desk mm-hmm. facing mm-hmm. out that yes, we get to I know. see. I'm like, <laughs> and I get it. I, I get it as a contrast, you know, to the horrible cannibalism well, the horrible death that's happening in the background that we see this happy, smiley, sweet side of Flutie as in the background he's being you know, eaten, but at the same time, like, who has a picture of themselves facing outward I, on a desk? Some people might, but that's not really consistent with his characterization. Yeah, I didn't know what to do with that other than we needed something to look at that was not the... That was not right. But even if it was a picture of him with his kids or his wife or something like that, like, that would make more sense. But a picture of just yourself on your desk facing outward, like, okay, I mean, I guess I don't know. If I know he's trying what it is. to get the sense of like the happy principal to the people who come in and talk to him. I don't know. I think I know what it is. I mean, I what don't know it? what it is in the world of the show, but I know what it is right. in the world of making television. If it were, oh, a, yeah. if it were a picture of him with anyone, literally anyone, right. then we would have to treat his death more tragically than we do. 
Right. Because no, absolutely. he would be leaving somebody behind. So I think it's meant to show him as he's a solitary yeah. figure in this picture. And I think that that's, you know, again, there to give us something to look at that's not grisly death, but also right, to right. establish that he is like, it's okay. It's a horrible thing to say, but that it's okay right. that he dies because he's not leaving a partner or children or yeah but you know I mean we see that picture and just because there's no wife and kids there doesn't mean there isn't a wife of kids absence of evidence is not evidence of absence as we know Um, but uh, but at any rate like I understand from the production angle why we went that way and it was a good choice from the production angle from in world angle it does feel a little weird if you think about it but already I think we've talked about that too much I think we've like taken that detail (laughs) and that's my fault so I will totally totally hold on to that so we have this adorable Principal Flutie, who we love in this episode, and we have to say goodbye to, and it's very sad. Um, let's talk a little bit about Xander. We have a lot of discussions on this show about Xander. Oh, yes. How problematic he is. Um, you know, Shadow Xander versus Light Xander. Light Xander is the one that we acknowledge textually. Shadow Xander is something that is not textually acknowledged and usually very dark. Um, but I, I find it funny because in this episode in which Xander goes legit bad, He's actually much better than usual. Like, I guess because we don't have much Shadow Xander that we don't textually acknowledge. What did you feel about Xander in this episode? I actually really liked Xander in this episode. Not as, you know, it's horrible to see him be cruel, especially to Willow. But Mm -hmm. Nicholas Brendan just knocks it out of the park for me in oh, this he's episode. Fantastic. I, he is fantastic. I really enjoy Animal Xander. There's yeah. something mm-hmm. about him that just really works for me. Um and I don't know whether it's I don't know whether it's the the delivery of the lines or the physicality or some combination, but mm-hmm. he really Nicholas Brendan really seems to embody this kind of um, what am I trying to say? This almost uh, animal brain, yeah, that slowly yeah. takes over Xander because mm-hmm. when he when we first see him as a hyena at the bronze, he's not fully. He he's he's mostly Xander still. Yeah, he's just got yeah. this kind mm-hmm. of he's Xander with a kind of. Uh, alpha male, no fucks given attitude. Yeah, mm-hmm. over top of him. Um, but he's he's fantastic and fascinating when he steals Buffy's croissant, and then yes. is offended that that the stolen food is not what he wanted. Right. I just love that as an evil moment because of the the level of entitlement. The um, yeah. the like he's mad at her. That the food she chose for herself <laughs> is not right. the food he wants, right? Um, mm-hmm. but it's great. I I love and I love how he subtly but not subtly sniffs Buffy. Yes, no, it's um, it's pretty cool, and I really I like Nicholas Brendan manages to sell this. 
Like he has up to this point been like, you know, the goofy guy, um, the guy who's, you know, has a really has a really dark shadow side that we don't like. But this the light side of Xander that we really love is like this kind of goofy, you know, very, you know, well-meaning, sweet guy. Right. Mm -hmm. You know. And so to see him be able to sell something sinister, you know, something dark like that um, is really kind of nice to see. And I'm glad that they gave him the opportunity to kind of play that because had it been done by an actor who, you know, who wasn't able to sell that as well, that could have gone really, really wrong. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I like that the show acknowledges animal Xander's bad behavior in a way that it doesn't acknowledge shadow Xander's bad behavior. Shadow Xander, yeah. Shadow Xander was never really meant to be there in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, what I don't want to say the show thinks, but I'm not sure how else to express it. The show thinks right. that Xander is adorable and bumbling and that his bad behavior, you know, is part yes. of that charm. Whereas animal Xander is clearly in the wrong he's clearly presented as the bad guy um Mm -hmm. and you know buffy is on to him from the beginning in that first that first interaction uh at the bronze Mm -hmm. she's calling him on his weird behavior and when he joins in with the the pack of bullies on um on the joke about Mm -hmm. the kid whose table they're gonna steal the yeah both Mm -hmm. the girls look at him like what is going on? Right. Because this is the same guy who in the beginning, which I really like too, like in the beginning at the zoo, he's there with Willow. He's talking to Buffy. He's not moving on Buffy. He's not being weird about Buffy. He's being very sweet, you know, and just like they're, and they're there. And then there's that moment where um, the bullies are taking the kid Lance um, into the hyena house. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Buffy's about to go in and then Xander's like, no, this is okay. It's not superhero stuff. I can handle it. He goes in and this is who Xander is, right? He goes in to protect the weaker kid from four bullies, right? He's not afraid of the bullies. He stands up to the bullies. Like, you know, he's actually being very heroic in that moment. And that's a very good Xander. Yeah, you know that gives us our baseline of our our best possible Xander, right? Yeah, he's <laughs> you know, the highest common denominator of Xander is happening here. Great you know? in the beginning, mm-hmm. he is great. He's yeah. so funny with Willow when mm-hmm. they yeah. run over, and we saw the zebras mating. <laughs> I know it was so, cute. and I love that they're <laughs> like the Heimlich maneuver with stripes. Although I think that was Willow, but it that was, was adorable. Yeah, yeah, but I love that they're both wearing stripes. Yes, in that mm-hmm. scene. <laughs> Yes, just I know. Well done costuming that mm-hmm. they it's very cute, exactly. <laughs> but they're so cute, and they're so you know yeah. he's brightly colored. He's cracking jokes about getting out of mm-hmm. school. He's yeah. cheering Buffy up because she's a little bit mm-hmm. meh after right, but without being predatory or entitled to her attention or anything that we've seen from Shadow Xander. Like I don't think we actually, as funny as it is, this is the the episode where Xander's like textually bad, but it's still better than Shadow Xander, where it's not textually acknowledged. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's given a pass. There's no consequence. Absolutely. You know? And I mean, granted, at the end of this, there's not really any consequence 
for Xander either. And that's a complicated question because throughout the run of Buffy, we're going to address this a number of times. What are you responsible for when you are possessed? And the, the party line with Buffy is if you're possessed by something, you are not responsible for anything that you do during that time. Right. Right. You know, and I think that there's something to that, although that doesn't apply to vampires. Interestingly enough, vampires are completely responsible for everything they do, even though they are, I mean, possessed. Right. Right. Killed by a demon, then possessed by that demon. But there's the element of the human behind, which is a a philosophical space that Buffy spends a lot of time in. We spend a lot of time in that uh, discussing exactly that thing over in Angel on the podcast that I do with Dr. Kelly Jones called Still Dead, where we talk about the Angel spinoff series. Um, So it's a really interesting question. But I think that we pretty much very firmly come down on if you're possessed, you are not responsible. Xander gets... It's a clean slate here. He doesn't have to really have any consequence, you know, for anything that he's done. Um, And I find that kind of interesting. Oh, definitely. Do we want to dive right into that? Let's dive right in. Sure. All right. Let's let's go. Which zooms us all the way to the end of the episode Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. Xander is talking to we see him coming up the stairs, which is a lovely a lovely uh, physical representation of we're coming up from the yes from mm-hmm. you know the lower space that we've been in um, mm-hmm. with this animal behavior. Xander is ascending. Yeah, we're right? as- ascending from that low animalistic behavior back into the light, back into humanity. Yep. Yeah, yeah, back to join. We're we're joining with the group again, and Xander and uh, Buffy and Willow are talking about. Xander's behavior. What did mm-hmm. he do while he was a hyena? And Xander has no, apparently, has no memory. Yes. No right. memory of any of this, of eating a live, raw pig. Right. <laughs> oh, poor Herbert. Um, right. I know. And, and I like his reference to, and the trichinosis of it aside. Yes. You know? <laughs> Which is very cute. That's great. And again, Mm -hmm. there's our lovely Xander that we love, who is even, you know, even when things are horrible, is making a joke, making a clever joke. Right. Then we get to the top of the stairs and he says, I didn't do anything else. Mm -hmm. And the girls look at each other. And Buffy goes, nah. Yeah. And we leave it there. Mm-hmm. And okay, so we've got, so we have Buffy and Willow protecting Xander from mm-hmm. the reality of what he did while he was part hyena. But then, right. mm-hmm. but then Giles comes over and I I love this. I know it's a, it's a conceit of fiction that Giles is entering the conversation just the right moment. Right, um, exactly. Know. Which always happens. Just, yeah. It's mm-hmm. lovely. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those fictional <laughs> It's it's fictional double dutch, right? You know, we have these people that are in the middle of whatever it is that they're doing. They got the rhythm and everything. And then we have somebody just jump in like they were there all along. It happens all the time. And it's not like realistic. But the the whole point of fiction is not what it is, but what it feels like. And so that's the feeling of him being in complete harmony with with their rhythm and with everything that they're doing. So, yeah. And I I like that as a way of of Mm -hmm. re- establishing the core four of them 
Yeah. So even though Giles mm-hmm. has not been part of this conversation, he's part of this conversation. But then Giles right. lets Xander know that he's on to him, that he has not found anything in all of his many tomes of yes. <laughs> information about possession that suggests memory loss. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have some thoughts on this, but I I want to know what you make of this. Well, I mean, on the one hand, right, it is uh, completely consistent with what we do within Buffy. You were possessed, right? Um, so you don't, you know, you're not responsible for it. So we know, Giles knows and Xander knows that he has memory of this, right? Yes. Um, so there's all of that. However, um, and here we're going to get into a little bit of the discussion about sexual assault. So people who are, are triggered by that kind of thing may want to skip ahead a little bit. Um Xander does remember he knows what he tried to do to Buffy, you know, and the only reason he didn't do it is because she knocked him out. Yes. Like he was actually assaulting her. So he has this memory. He knows. And in this moment, we do get some shadow Xander. We do get a hint of patriarchy, right? Because Giles is actually co-signing on Xander not going to Buffy and apologizing, Right. Which is something that as somebody who remembers what he did, you know, um, he really needs to do. And this is one of the things that we do and will continue to do throughout the run of Buffy. Buffy is going to get assaulted in in sexual ways a couple of times throughout the run of this. Um, And every time, with the exception of one, um, she kind of just it's like okay she just says I'm all right I'm fine like even after this she's joking around about you know about his it doesn't his you know wooing doesn't involve a Yanni CD and a bottle of Chianti like right after this experience of having somebody that she trusted um you know turn on her and granted she knows that he's you know um she knows that he's possessed I understand her forgiving him I understand her not even holding him responsible for it. I understand her not even telling him and trying to protect him from the knowledge of what he did. I understand all of that. But what we do very often is we erase Buffy's trauma. We act like it's not a big deal. Like what happened to her is not a big deal. And the thing is that whether he remembers it or not, she remembers it. Mm -hmm. Whether he remembers it or not, that is a terrifying experience for a woman to go through. And I mean, when I say a woman, like anybody being sexually assaulted, that is an absolutely terrible thing um typically with women because we are you know less powerful typically not as strong as men to have anybody who is stronger than you and for a man having a woman who is stronger than you or a woman who you won't fight back with because you know you're stronger than her which puts her in a position of power anybody to sexually assault you especially somebody who you trust you know that is a traumatic experience and buffy's trauma is real even if xander wasn't in control of himself when it happened exactly right it still happened to her mm-hmm. and to treat it like it's no big deal like it's just a joke um and for her to very lightly be like nah you didn't do nothing yeah um i think undercuts that reality and that expectation that women and, and this is an expectation i think with women specifically. Um, Although I think men are supposed to ignore their sexual trauma too, because they're men. Right. Right. You know, so like everybody, I think, no, fair enough. I take it back. Everybody is expected to ignore sexual trauma. Everybody's expected to be like, it's no big deal. It's fine. I'm over it. You know, it wasn't so bad. Mm -hmm. This, you know, it didn't go here. It wasn't, you know, because they didn't do, they didn't rape me the whole way because like, it's not so bad. It is an extremely traumatic event because sexually sexual assault is about power. 
And it's about somebody taking your power away from you. So whether it happens to a man or a woman, I do use gendered language with this. I think I'm wrong about that. Um, but it's just because I see it from the point of view of a woman who has been sexually assaulted. Um, so I, I have that very personal kind of connection to it. Um, so I think that, um, that, Anybody who's been sexually assaulted has had their power taken away from them. When that happens with somebody who you trust, I think it adds, you know, even more trauma to it mm -hmm. because you're also being betrayed at that moment. Absolutely. So all of this together, um, the erasure of Buffy's trauma, I think, is one of these things that comes from the shadow side of our culture, which has kind of, you know, through the terroir, because it's in the ground from which this story sprung, the cultural ground, you know, in which we planted these stories. Um, it's something that is is done without question. You know, yeah. we don't acknowledge Buffy's trauma. We erase Buffy's trauma um, and we pretend like it's not a big deal when in actuality that actually is a big deal. And I think that we need to address that. Um, so this is part of that kind of cultural mapping that tells us that when we are sexually assaulted, as long as we're not completely raped, as long as X, Y, Z hasn't happened, as long as there wasn't bruising or blood or, you know, anything like that, that somehow that means it wasn't that big a deal. You should just get over it. Look at Buffy. She just gets over it. Why can't you? I think that's the message that gets sent. And I think that's a very, very dangerous cultural message for anybody who's been sexually assaulted. Please forgive my gendered language. I'm wrong when I use gendered language in this context because it applies across the board. Um, so that's where I come down on this. What do you think? Oh, gosh. Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly about the erasure of Buffy's mm -hmm. trauma it's played I mean she even says um to you know Willow asks what happened and Buffy says he tried his hand at felony sexual assault like she mm -hmm. calls it out for exactly what it is but it's the line is delivered in a sort of joking sort it's of way joke. it's a joke yeah. mm -hmm. um we're just gonna you know hit him with a desk drag him into the library cage and then you know we're yeah. done talking about it um I I mean that is absolutely problematic. I think that it's it is emblematic of the the culture that tells women to erase their pain that what you've gone through mm -hmm. is not so bad. But what's especially interesting and problematic for me in this episode is that previously we have mm -hmm. taken women's pain very seriously. We've taken Buffy's mm -hmm. pain very seriously. She is our titular character. She is our entry point into this world. And her, mm -hmm. the message that we've gotten from the show so far is that her experience matters, that yes. her feelings mm -hmm. are valid, that what, sh how she sees the world and what happens to her is worthy of our time and attention. I mean, that's something mm -hmm. that continues to be revolutionary about the show, you know, 20 years later that here we have this young woman whose narrative we are going to take seriously. Um, mm -hmm. And this is something that you know, sexual assault is something that, you know, again, we're using gendered language here. Um, mm -hmm. And it is something that many women have to deal with in their lifetimes mm -hmm. and it's a it's a very real source of pain um yeah for anybody who is a survivor anybody who knows a survivor 
it's and everybody knows a survivor. Everybody does. It's it's such a, a huge number of women, and you know, a significant number of men mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so to take that very real pain, that very mm-hmm. real, real world pain and trauma, and erase it in multiple ways with the mm-hmm. comedy right. of the scene where she drags him into the library cage and. I mean, admittedly, I laughed when when uh, she says I hit him with a desk. I mean, that's a yeah. great mm-hmm. mental image of Buffy just, right. you know, little bitty Buffy just picking up a desk and whacking Xander with it. But I know. <laughs> but, you know, so she so we erase it there. We erase it mm-hmm. when Xander asks. He asks if he did anything else. And yeah, she lies to him yeah to presumably to protect him but he's asking because he knows right and i think i wonder if he's asking because he wants to see what she'll say will she toe the patriarchal line where no Mm -hmm. nothing happened you know is she right is his his comfort in that moment is more important than her traumatic experience Right. His embarrassment, his potential embarrassment at having done something so vile mm-hmm. is more important than the truth of her experience. And yes. that yes. and then we have Giles swoop in and back him up. And co sign it. Yeah. Yeah. He co-signs it completely. And we also have the situation with Willow, because while he didn't sexually assault Willow, he did commit emotional violence on Willow. I mean, she was really, truly, deeply hurt by the way that he treated her, you know? And I mean, what he needs to do is apologize to each of them. Yes. You know, they both deserve an apology. He knows what he said to Willow. He knows what he said to Buffy. And yet, in this moment at the end, we're co-signing on the fact that he deserves to get away with it completely mm-hmm. without having to face any of the consequences from it. But we're also saying that they don't deserve an apology. Yeah. And that they don't require one. From yes. Him. You know, they are the ones giving him the pass. Yes. But the people telling the story are, are co-signing that as well and saying this is the way things should be. Yes. Because when we have our heroes behave in a certain way, what we're saying is this is how the behavior should be. And if they're not behaving in a positive way, then they have consequence. Mm-hmm. And that's how it works, especially with Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon does not let the consequence go, except in these moments. And they are shadow moments. They're terroir moments, you know, which come from the culture you know, from which this story sprang, where that is the cultural expectation of victims of sexual assault and victims of emotional violence. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that that's that's a difficult part of this story. Although overall, the pack is kind of universally reviled as one of the really bad episodes of Buffy. I think it's actually pretty good. Like I I kind of like this episode. I definitely like Xander a lot more because even though he is, he doesn't have to have consequence, we at least acknowledge that his behavior was not okay. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so I mean, at least there's that, which is not often something we get with Xander. I love um, Nicholas Brennan's performance. I think that that's great. Um, I think that there's a lot of, of fun stuff happening here. Um, we get kind of, I think, maybe our weakest Giles. Yeah. You know, Giles is not not great He's in this not episode. not good. Right? He is not good. Because we have, yeah, we have that moment where Buffy comes to him mm-hmm. And says, you know, Xander's acting weird and all this kind of stuff. And he basically literally says, hey, boys will be boys. Right. Which is the worst thing ever. And I mean, it's bad to say girls will be girls, too. Let's just cover that as well. When girls are (gasps) mean, you know, and they say, oh, that's just how teenage girls are or whatever. That is also completely not okay. But it's just not the message we're sending here. If if Buffy ever sends a girls will be girls message, we will attack that as well because it's just wrong. Um, Because it's basically saying what your gender is, you know, gets you off the hook for some kind of behavior. And that's not true. If you're bad behaving, whether you're a boy or a girl, you need to be held responsible for it. But, you know, Giles, we have, you know, doing this boys will be boys things. Giles, we have at the end, co-signing on Xander's right to skate by without, um, without consequence, without apology, without acknowledging. I mean, even though he wasn't um, responsible for himself during those moments, um, he he needs to apologize to both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, sincerely apologize. And we need to address Buffy's trauma, Willow's trauma, and not erase it for both of them. That you can treat women however you want. And that's okay. They're just they're just supposed to forgive you mm-hmm. and let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. this is the first time that Buffy brings something to Giles and he blows mm-hmm. her off. Yes. This is the first time that she comes to him with a concern about something is weird, something is not right. And he says, testosterone. Testosterone, exactly. And, and, you know, we get that wonderful moment from Buffy. I can't believe you, like all people are trying to scully me, you know, which is a reference, of course, to Scully, the skeptical scientist in the X-Files. Yes. Um, I loved that line. yeah, I thought it was a great line. And it's, you know, it's, it's a nice moment. And Buffy is, is standing strong. Like she is not letting Giles, you know, um, you know, poo poo her away. Like she is pushing until she gets it across. And then we do have a moment from Giles, you know, where he is obviously feeling bad. He starts reading up on the hyenas. Mm-hmm. He finds out about the Maasai tribe. He, you know, tells them the whole history. And then he's like, I should have remembered that. Yeah. You know, and I think that he should feel bad Mm -hmm. you know I think he should have have a moment where he's feeling bad for that but that's all we get and the rest of Giles we don't get much Giles here but the rest of what we get is not great Giles yeah it's it's disappointing um and I'm with Buffy in that moment (laughs) when she says you of all people um right and it's just it's disappointing because we really do have an opportunity for Giles to um, paint a different picture of high school mm-hmm. masculinity here to yeah. tell we we could have told a different story um, and mm-hmm. we could have used Giles in a different way here rather than have him be the, um, you know, upstanding patriarchal dude that he is in this episode exactly exactly and i mean the thing is that it is it's insulting to men Mm -hmm. like i think it is insulting to men to say this is the best you can do you know you just you're just an animal at heart like you can't you can't control yourself you know i think that it's just 
it's really insulting to men. A lot of the things in the patriarchy are heavily, heavily insulting and, and diminishing of men and what men can be, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so, like, I find that insulting, you know, just on a lot of levels. Like, the boys will be boys thing is, of course, obviously very damaging to girls because it asks them to take on the trauma from this behavior and just excuse it. But it's also, like, really bad for men. So we've got we've got the pack themselves too to to talk about the sort of yeah. um with them it's not so much boys will be boys as it is bullies will be bullies um right they mm-hmm. are just these mean kids and we sort of accept that yeah they're the mean kids every school right. has them mm-hmm. um right but i actually i really like the pack i love the casting of these actors mm-hmm. especially the two women who look like evil fashion models they right. look <laughs> almost they've got this kind of animal yeah. quality even before they're possessed by hyenas um yeah and we they're in an interesting the the pack is an interesting um force in the story i guess because buffy when they first confront her at the zoo and they're cracking jokes about you know Buffy and all her friends. She yeah. is having none of it. She's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's witty. And yeah. it doesn't bother mm-hmm. her. The teasing doesn't bother mm-hmm. her until one of the girls makes a crack about her getting kicked out of her last school. Right. She hits on a point of vulnerability, right? She's not having it until one of the girls makes a crack about her getting kicked out of her last school. And then it seems to rattle her. A little bit. Right. And that's how you that's how you expose vulnerability. Right. When somebody says something and then, you know, your protagonist or your other character reacts to it in in a different way, it shows that 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 you hit them where it hurts, you know, and that's where the vulnerability is, where it hurts, you know. Yeah. Um, So I thought that that was a really nice uh, kind of just bit of characterization for Buffy, you know, that like she is. She is of her nature is to be a good kid, you know, to do the right thing, to study and to make good grades and to do the. But she's constantly pulled back and forth between her sacred duty as a slayer and her desire to to be a good kid, you know, and I think that that hurts her because that gets to her sense of identity. And of course, you know, all sources of vulnerability, the main sources of vulnerability are fear, identity, love and shame. Right. And so for her, I think this hits her in her identity. Yes. You know, that she is she feels like she's being seen as a bad kid. Mm -hmm. And I I like that. That's her response to that. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was interesting, but it did seem a little strange to me that she would be. She seems to go from strong and um, witty and not taking anything from anybody to completely crestfallen in just this one mm-hmm. um, this one moment. And I don't know that we've made that big of a deal about Buffy feeling mm-hmm. strongly about having gotten kicked out of her previous school. Um, yeah. It does come up to haunt her in, you know, a few previous episodes, but it didn't seem to me like. Well, Joyce hit her with it. Like, I think I think actually that we do. And I think that we do see how that speaks to her, her sense of her own identity, Mm -hmm. which is which is really important. But when Joyce says that, you know, um, about you got kicked out of your last school, that's why we had to move here. 
You oh, know, I mean, that hurts, Buffy. And so I do think that we have this history there. I like it's a very subtle note, you know, and it's not something that we do spend a lot of time on. But I think that it's actually pretty well done and, and fairly well established. And it speaks to the the kind of, you know, tension between who Buffy is and who she's required to be against her will. This is not something she chose. She was chosen. Right. right? You know, um, and who she wants to be. You know, and there is a tension there between that. And I think that that speaks to her inner sense of identity and who she is. And I like that. And when she goes out for the cheerleading team in which, you know, we see that again, that like who she wants to be is the cheerleader with the good grades. And she, she wants to be Cordelia, but a nicer version of Cordelia, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so that's why part of the reason why I like Cordelia as a foil for Buffy, you know, yes. because she's she's a lot of things that Buffy wants to be and wishes she were, you know. And uh, and so it's nice to have Cordelia there to kind of represent the things that Buffy doesn't get to have because she's the Slayer. All right. No, I take it back. No, it makes total sense okay. to me now. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, but right. the pack the the pack themselves, I think, is just mm-hmm. just wonderfully. I want to say choreographed. Their yeah. movements yeah. are just fantastic. I love... Yeah, there's a nice animalistic physicality about everything with them. I love the way they move as a group even before they're possessed by hyenas. Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, they are. I mean, the thing is, before they're possessed by hyenas, they're not that different. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. Well, and that raises the question once again of how much... So so you're not responsible for what you do while you're possessed, but... The way that the possession here is depicted, it seems like the kids become more hyena as time passes. So Mm -hmm. how much I I mean, this is a this is a question the show never really answers. But how much are they human and how much are they hyena? And at what point does the hyena take over and. Are they? I think when you eat the principal, <laughs> the hyena has taken over. But I mean, one of the things too with the pack is that as much as we don't address or we don't hold Xander responsible, right? We are completely ignoring any kind of resolution for these four kids. Yes. These four kids who um, ate a mascot, you know, and Xander participated in that, but also like cannibalized the principal. Like they murdered a guy, yeah. you know, um, they ate the principal. And the thing is that like, they remember it. We know they remember it because Xander remembers yes. it. Right. So they have this memory and that is a traumatizing experience. Like yeah, anyway. these kids, when they come out of that, they were, you know, metaphorically animalistic in the way that they picked on the weaker kids and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so they were already animalistic. They, they turn into these hyenas. They get possessed by these hyenas. And then once the possession is taken from them, that's the last we hear of them. But it seems to me like there's, you know, there's something we need to kind of address, you know, what kind of therapy these kids are going to need. I mean, right. we're just leaving them to go off into a very hellmouthy world because I think they all still live in Sunnydale, you know, um, with this experience of having eaten the principal. Yeah. And there's no real like addressing of what happened to them, how they dealt with it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these 
these kids are very much like held up as as animals. Mm -hmm. And we don't really treat them as anything else, even after they've lost that possession. Yeah, they're they're not sympathetic from the get go. They're not sympathetic as Mm -hmm. humans. And it almost makes what they do as hyenas seem like an extension of who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Which then again takes me back to Xander and makes me wonder how much of Xander are we seeing? How much of animal Xander is shadow Xander just made? Right. You know, literal. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's the same question with the vampire. How much of the human is in there? Yeah. Like, you know, how much, because the vampires can remember, you know, as we know from Angel, he gets his soul Mm -hmm. back, but he remembers everything as a vampire and physically he is still a vampire. You know, so um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to to think like, you know, where is the line? How much of this is something that was in Xander to begin with? Because when he's attacking Buffy, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, he's saying all these things about how he's felt about her, you know, about about like everything that we know that he has felt. Now, Buffy might because he was, you know, in this possessed hyena state, you know, might think, oh, no, he doesn't have these feelings for me. But I mean, Willow tells her, you know, we have all of these. And I find it interesting that we have the addressing of all of the crushes in the episode about animalistic behavior, Mm -hmm. right? We have Willow talking about how she feels about Xander, and she's acknowledging that while they're in in the bronze. Um, Buffy is acknowledging her feelings about Angel while they're in the bronze, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And we get this textual acknowledgement when Willow is crying and she says, you know, this is how Xander feels about you. It's all about you, you know, Um, which is a point where Buffy's like, no, you know, because she doesn't see it. But so we know that there's this textual acknowledging of all of these crushes, Mm -hmm. you know, and we kind of let that go, too. You know, I mean, Buffy's not addressing the fact that Xander has feelings for her. Willow's not addressing the fact that she has feelings for Xander. Um, You know, nobody's really talking about that stuff. And I can see why. Like, that's uh, crushes are an extremely vulnerable space. Mm -hmm. But after Xander sexually assaults her and says this stuff to her, I think that Buffy and Xander need to have a talk. They really do. You know, at this point. One in which he apologizes profusely to her and another one in which she kind of lets him down easy. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, because if you know somebody has feelings for you, you don't have feelings for them. You don't just let that go. I mean, you've got to, you know, you've got to let them know and just and be as kind as possible, mm-hmm. you know, so that it doesn't continue. on. Yeah, I, I did not like that. That was let go so readily that what yeah. he's, you know, We've already talked about it. He's off the hook. We're going to pretend like nothing ever happened. But the fact Mm -hmm. that that scene where he assaults her is played like an extension of his crush on her, that it's played like it's about desire instead of about power, Mm -hmm. that just left me with the worst taste in my mouth. That's not... Yeah, it's a it's a tough scene. And it's it does speak to that kind of essential entitlement that Xander has already exhibited, Mm -hmm. you know, with regard to Buffy. So yeah, it's, it's really it's kind of it's kind of a Gordian knot of stuff that we're not really picking at, we're not looking at, we're kind of pretending it's not there. Well, and that raises the question for me of if you're not going to if you're going to acknowledge it as sexual assault within the text, and then erase it why have it happen at all 
Why make it a sexual assault? Right. Right. What? You know, I mean, why not have him just be cruel to Buffy the way that he was cruel to yeah. Willow instead of, you know, I mean, really like trying to rape yes. her, you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. If you're going to bring something like that in, you have to address it all the way. But what we do instead is this very casual erasure. Oh, it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. But it is a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal whether he was in control of himself or not, because Buffy was in control of herself. She still had that experience no matter what was going on. There's no, it doesn't have any effect on her experience aside from the fact of knowing that as, as much as it would feel like a betrayal in the moment he was possessed. So it wasn't an actual betrayal, you know? Um, but it's still an assault by somebody that you trust. And that is still going to have, you know, very real emotional consequence, but we erase Buffy's trauma consistently throughout the series. We're going to do it again. You know, it's going to happen a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I feel like we we then contribute to a culture that that minimizes sexual assault. Yeah. Which is a really bad thing. Well, I mean, that that is rape culture. We're going to include yeah, a rape, rape scene mm -hmm. in our TV show yeah. for fun, for fun, for the fun of essentially it, right? we're going to we're going to raise the stakes with sexual assault because our protagonist is female and conventionally attractive. Yes. Um, but mm -hmm. we're not going to acknowledge the reality of sexual assault, whether it's her trauma or his consequences. And yeah. there's not mm -hmm. really any reason for it to be sexual assault if you're not going to tell that story. Um, exactly. Exactly. You know, if you bring it in, you have the responsibility to carry the weight of what you put in your story. Absolutely. You know? So, yeah, that yeah. is that for me continues to be problematic. So speaking of, you know, storytelling responsibility, right, yes. we have um, some kind of uncomfortable cultural references here with the Maasai tribe, which is is, is, is the Maasai a real I didn't uh, I didn't actually look up what the Maasai tribe was, but it's a real African yes. tribe. Is that yes, the Maasai okay. are a real um, people in Africa. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say Ethiopia. I did look them up mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't yes. find anything about mythology surrounding hyenas. Um, mm -hmm. But that didn't really surprise me because Buffy as a show doesn't, at least so far, doesn't seem to be very sensitive to any of the um, cultures or traditions that it borrows from. Yeah, I mean, including like, you know, standard Christian religion. So it is an equal opportunity dismisser. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> you know, of these things. Um, At least we give yeah. no shits about anybody's faith or spiritual anybody's practice. belief systems or, yes, yes yeah. faith practice, absolutely. Um, but I am, I mean, speaking of things that make me uncomfortable in this episode, I'm yeah. really uncomfortable with how the mythology of the hyenas is handled. Um, yes, it mm -hmm. feels very much like we're doing this. Aren't Africans weird and scary kind of yes. thing? Um, yes. Won't be the last time. Just to let you know. Yeah. <laughs> Buckle oh, up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I just I really don't like the way it sort of I mean, we're seriously othering, you know, mm -hmm. African people with this you know this tribesman told me of like we're not oh I don't know just the language surrounding the mythology of the hyenas mm -hmm. and then the drums and flutes score 
that comes up mm-hmm. every time we get hyena action that is i mean mm-hmm. clearly it, it's like so western sound design wants to sound tribal you know like right. it mm-hmm. just it feels racist to me um and i well i yeah. say this as a white person i see this coming from right. a colossal position of privilege but mm-hmm. It made me uncomfortable in a way that felt like race was being talked about without really being talked about, or at least nationality well, yeah, again, was being talked about. You know. Bringing in, right, bringing in a story element that has weight and refusing to carry that weight. Yeah. Right? You know, if you're going to talk about, about tribes or anything like that, you know, but instead what we do a lot in Buffy is we use sort of this cultural shorthand. We do this with religion as well. Like we take the power of that cultural shorthand, this, this long history going back into, you know, the darkest of times. Right. Um, and, and to do that with, um, with religious iconography, I think is also a problem. Um, but here we do it with, um, you know, with this idea of the African tribe and associating again, Africans with animals, which is a very highly racist thing. And again, as a white woman, you know, with a lot of privilege, I don't feel necessarily qualified to make a big statement about, about whether that's, you know, what that is and whether it's okay. Or, you know, I, I just, I, I feel unqualified really to talk about it on on a great length, except to say that, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable because you're looking at when you, when we look at anything that's borrowed from another culture or a different mm-hmm. tradition, it's important to look at who benefits. And in this case, we are borrowing ma- perhaps fabricated cultural elements, but mm-hmm. we're using we're using the the mystery of right. African tribesmen to create this the exoticism of humans and equating them with yeah, animals right we're using yeah. we're using african mythology possibly fabricating african mythology to create the conflict for our television episode and yes. that is problematic i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't need to be i mean right you don't need deep scholarly knowledge about um a a tribal culture or you know to mm-hmm. say this is this is being used in a way that is meant to be sinister it's meant to be um scary and off-putting mm-hmm. and i just ugh, like <laughs> yeah i mean it's yeah. not going to be the as you say it's not going to be the first time that this happens on this show that we just no it's not and you know we don't we don't borrow generally mm-hmm. like um we don't borrow from ancient like white people <laughs> Like, I don't think we see a lot of Norse stuff coming up <laughs> or Viking stuff coming up, right? In in Buffy, we do tend to go to this, like, exoticizing, you know, the African and the Asian sometimes. Yeah. And, um, and so it is a problem. And I would like to say that as we talk about these issues, um, I do feel like the people who work on Buffy are good people. Like, the people who, this is not something that is specific to Buffy. This is something that is widespread culturally within our 
our storytelling, which is why I will always argue for the normalization and, and above the line people in storytelling, which means having people who represent all different kinds of people in your storytelling, because your storytelling is just going to be better. This is a casual borrowing, like there is um, this mythology, you know, any kind of human mythology, um, any kind of historical mythology that we told in the past to try to understand the world, right, is charged. It comes pre-charged, mm -hmm. right, with the mystical, you know. And so what's happening in this story, I believe, is not of racist intent, right? I don't think that the people who wrote Buffy are racist. I don't think that they intended for this to be, you know, to come off the way that it comes off or for it to age as poorly as it has aged mm -hmm. now that we're in a world that is more global and we really are commanding to hear voices that are, are different from the traditional white male hetero you know, able, like, make your list of privilege, like that kind mm -hmm. of thing, right? The the very privileged storytelling perspective, you know? Um, so the problem is that we're taking the the charge, you know, it's charged, it's powerful, because we've had all these years of this mythology building up and, and telling these mystical stories, right? So that's where the borrowing of the religion comes from. It's that same instinct. Take something that's pre-charged for you and just put that energy into your story, right. you know? Um, and so I think that that is, that is an instinct that does speak to this, you know, let's get this aesthetic, both musically and visually. We have the circle, you know, drawn in red. It was a symbol for blood. I don't think it was actual blood on the floor, but it was drawn in red on the floor in the hyena house. Mm -hmm. All of these things come charged with this power. And so when you bring them into your story, you're borrowing power that has existed for all of these years. But when you borrow it irresponsibly, then this is the kind of thing that I think unintentionally results Mm -hmm. Right. So I would say that I believe that it's unintentional. I do not believe that anybody working on this show had this intent at all. But yet it still happens. And the reason why it happens is because it's in the culture that we live in the same way. I don't believe anybody had the intention of condoning rape culture. You know, but because it's in our culture, we do it. So it's important to look at it and to understand it. But at the same time, have an understanding that doesn't mean that we have to condemn the people who wrote it and the people who created it. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to understand it and acknowledge it so that the people watching it can kind of, it's, it's sort of like taking the poison out mm -hmm. of the story. Right. And still being able to enjoy the story because there's good stuff in this episode. There are a lot of things that I like in this episode. Yeah. Right. But by acknowledging these things, we take that poison out or at least we get a lot of it out. Yeah. You know, and then make this a story that can be more accessible to people who may have really felt and, and rightfully so completely marginalized by the things the story is saying. But that's a marginalization from our culture. Mm -hmm. Right. You can tell yeah. a story about the. You, you can do the thing that Buffy does so well of making mm -hmm. literal the troubles of high schoolers, you know, that mm -hmm. that bullies are animalistic in the way they target mm -hmm. um, yeah. weaker members of the group. You can do that mm -hmm. without saying and, you know. African people are animals. <laughs> I mean, I, right. Like, or animalistic yeah. in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That there's something that there's something brutal and vicious tied to a mythology that is not of your culture. I mean, I just mm -hmm. I absolutely think that there are ways to tell these stories without 
um, without making it about race. Right. And I think that there's, I don't think there's any intention to make it about race, but we have a very racist. Yeah, it's coming. I don't think there's any intention to be, you know, be patriarchal and misogynistic, but we live in a patriarchal and misogynistic culture. So these things seep into our Mm -hmm. stories in this invisible way, in this shadows and their way, in this path that we don't even acknowledge it because we don't see it. Right. You know, and as a white person, I can tell you, I'm sure there are tons of things that I don't see, even as I'm really actively trying now. Yes. But definitely earlier in my my career, things I've written in my books. I had no intention of that, you know, but they made their way into my books because they're part of my Mm -hmm. culture, you know, and I didn't understand it, have the understanding then that I'm really trying to acquire now. So even when I speak about these things now, like I want to acknowledge it and I want to throw it out there, but in no way do I feel like I have, um, I have a complete understanding of all the ways in which some of these things might be problematic of all the ways in which they can hurt people who watch them, who just want to enjoy a story, you know? Um, But I do want to acknowledge what I do see in the best way that I can, which may not always be, you know, perfect either. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough thing to do, but I think it's important to call it and say, we see this. It's important to be critical of the things that you love. Um, Especially if you really, you know, if you really love them and care deeply about them, you want your shows and your books and your movies to be as um, positive as they can be, which doesn't mean that you Mm -hmm. can't tell stories about difficult issues, but that you can be um, inclusive in the way that you tell these stories. And, um, you know, I think... I think being critical of something um, is not necessarily condemning it. Um, In fact, if -hmm. you're taking the time to dig into something that you love and be critical of it, to me, at least it's indicative of how deeply you care about the thing that you (laughs) that, you know, that you're even going to bother saying, hey, I really love Giles, but it's super problematic the way he co-signs the erasure of mm-hmm. Xander's sexual assault on Buffy. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. you can say this thing has all of this can be so good. And isn't it unfortunate that this is part of it? Right. And isn't it interesting that a show or a book or a movie that is revolutionary or, um, you know, includes positive representation in, you know, X, Y, Z ways can also include something as troubling as, you know, this other, this other thing. Well, and that's, and that's the thing, like our stories reflect our culture back at us. So I don't really see this as the fault or the wrongness, like within the writing team at the time, they didn't, I, I think clearly didn't see this no. element, you know, it wasn't visible to them. Um, but it's that's what happens. We we do this invisibility of these elements within the culture. We just sort of accept it because we've grown up with it. And it does take a lot of time and a lot of real deliberate effort to see yeah. it. And I think that, you know, this is something that was written, you know, 20 some years ago. Um, it is having a little trouble you know, with the aging, yeah. right? You know, it's not aging well. And I think that that speaks well of us culturally, that we are moving to a place culturally where we are aware of these yeah. things. But it's, but it doesn't mean that I don't love Buffy. Yeah. 
you know, I do. I love Buffy passionately. This is, you know, like my second go round <laughs> at this. Like, I love it very passionately and I want to talk about it. And I want to remove some of this problematic stuff so that the people who listen to these podcasts can kind of have it, once it's acknowledged, the the power and the damage that it can do is minimized. Yes. So you acknowledge it, you minimize it, you don't condemn the people who wrote it. They're not racist, sexist, horrible people. And I think that is another tendency we have in this culture to condemn people. Yes. Um, without understanding people. And I will say I'm, I'm as guilty of that as anybody. Um, you know, I mean, it, it happens. We do tend to, to do that. Um, but rather, you know, look at the action. It's not okay. Acknowledge that. Let's do better. You know, and I mean, that's the best that you mm -hmm. can do. Mm-hmm. So I think that like, I, I actually really enjoy this episode. I think there's a lot of really great things in this yeah. episode. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff in this episode. Um, speaking of which, we got a girl power moment of the week. Yeah. All right. What you got well, for me? I was thinking about this because I was so, I did get so hung up on the way the, that uh, our female characters are sort of complicit in mm -hmm. their own, yeah. um, their own oppression at the end sure as we all oh yeah been. i mean let's face oh, it oh yeah face it. yeah yep. um but i love strong willow in this episode oh yeah yeah um you had some great notes about willow's relationship with xander in particular mm -hmm. when she mm -hmm. volunteers to stay behind in the library um He's yes. unconscious in the mm -hmm. library cage, which is such right. a convenient bit of set right there. That's just I we are going to use the library cage quite a bit throughout the run of Buffy. And I always find it funny because like, I don't think my library had a they might have had a room that locked for like the but nobody was stealing anything yeah. from the <laughs> library at that time so I don't know I always find the library cage really funny hugely convenient um I guess I guess audio visual equipment would be in there sure yeah know, maybe but um but I just always find it really funny that they've got this this you know very convenient cage that can hold any manner of supernatural dangerous being yeah you know so we're gonna have we're gonna have a few supernaturals stuck in that in that cage from time to time yeah, but Willow Willow offering to stay behind with Xander um, to yeah. watch over him. And then her, the scene where he wakes up and starts to kind of talk, talk her over. Right. And mm -hmm. you think for a second that she's going to fall for it. That mm -hmm. because she's so vulnerable, Willow is just all vulnerability yes. in this episode my god yes um yes she is she's just pure distilled vulnerability <laughs> and it it hurts me to watch it because i know and allison hannigan does such a fantastic job oh with that my god she is great she is good right off the bat yeah you know um yeah. but when xander's talking to her and she is explaining that she wants to see how you know what I don't remember exactly how she expresses it, but something about how much. I wanted to know if you were still yes. in there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he lunges for her and she takes a step back and says, now I know with this. Right. Wonderful. So he thought he was playing her, but she was playing yep. him. And the strength that takes after the way that he hurt her, after knowing that he sexually assaulted yeah. Buffy. 
for her to say, nah, I got this. Yeah. You know, and she's there with him. She's watching over him. She is protecting him from himself, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's kind of a nice thing. And it shows the incredible well of strength that this character has and we're, which we're going to see from her many times over throughout the run of the yeah. series. I did not remember how tough Willow was right from the get go. I mean, she's extremely yeah. vulnerable and she's extremely sweet, yeah. but she also has this core of real, um, real strength and yeah. um, tenacity. I mean, she gets away from Xander and the mm-hmm. bullies. She, and then I th- I think it's so interesting at the hyena house at the end, she's volunteering to participate essentially. Like she doesn't yeah. understand yeah. that the, what's been going on with the zookeeper. She thinks yeah. for a minute that, Oh, this is all part of the, the trap. And right. then she mm-hmm. realizes that you know, when he's got the knife to her throat, that no, this is real. Mm-hmm. And she warns Buffy. Yeah. Which is incredibly courageous. I mean, she could lose her life in that moment. Yeah. And she's yeah. prepared to die to protect her friends. I mean, Damn, Willow. Yeah. And she keeps she keeps her <laughs> yeah. head. She's calm. She's part of yeah. the team. Like she's really doing a great job with it. And um and I love I love how she handles herself. I think that Willow is definitely one of the high points of this episode and an absolute girl power, you know, source for the week. Yeah. Definitely. Um, all right. So, Noelle, tell me, what's your favorite part? My favorite part is Animal Xander. Um mm-hmm. he is just Excellent, especially when he first, his first appearance as Animal Xander when he comes into the bronze and his little, Mm -hmm. he's got this little movement that he does and his little sort of animal swagger. (laughs) Right. I love it so much. And then his, his gestures and the quality of his speech, you know, he says, I like it here. And he's sort of looking around in this really, um, he just he just remi- he very much reminds me of an animal in that moment. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then his little his little sniffing of Buffy the way he's I know. <laughs> you took a bath. Like it's just it's delightful. Yeah. It's delightfully mm-hmm. off. He just he yes. just sells the shit out of it and I love it. Yeah, he's really good. That's my favorite part, too. I got to say, Nicholas Brennan's performance all through. I think that, you know, whatever the problems are that we had with the way the story, you know, took his story, um, I think that his performance in it was fantastic. And I, I loved it all the way through. All right, that's it for today. To join the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Noelle Aloud and use the hashtag stillpretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum, and join in the fun. Right, or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons where it's all gangs and drugs and those movies they show on Showtime with the nudity. (laughs) Visit patreon.com slash Chipperish to find out more. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer Ross from Queensland, Australia. Ross supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to be possessed by a puppy or some ducks. 
Thank you, Ross. And thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media and makes everything we do possible. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you too can become a still pretty producer. All right. We will be back next time with Angel, the seventh episode of season one. And I'm so excited for that one. I love that one. (laughs) Until then, you just run along to class while we wait for the feeling to return to our arms. That's right. My mouth is still backwards. That's fine. <laughs> Everything Why is it doing that. That's so weird. Down to go up, up to go down. It's like I'm, I'm a, I'm a. Is it like that all the time, or just when you're in the car? No, it's like that all the time. I should, you know, I should probably figure out how to change it. But why? <laughs> I just weird myself out every time I use it. You know what? It's a personal choice that every woman has to make for herself. <laughs>